and I have uh, joined in Financial Peace University. How many of you are doing that? There's a bunch of you doing the Financial Peace University. Um, it's it's uh, Rich and Chris, are you in here today? You guys are crushing it. Thank you for doing that, man. They're sneaky good. I'm telling you what, the Rich and Krista have been overseeing uh, with, alongside of Brian and Elia, they've been overseeing our marriage ministries. And here's what I'm finding. As Polly and I are doing this Financial Peace University, it's healing places in our marriage, right? They, they had absolutely, they knew they were going to get that out of us. They thought they were just going to help us with our finances, but it's helping our marriage. I love it. They had an ulterior motive to fix a marriage. Come on. So, so get this. So Polly... Last week, we're, uh, she, was, she went to the dentist, and then she texted me, and she sent me a picture of her favorite store. The, you know the favorite store you got, the, the go-to? Come on now, you got a store. Somebody's got a store. You got the, she sent a picture of her favorite store. Cabela's, right, ladies? Whatever it is, you got one, right? Your favorite store you got. And, and, and so she probably she sends me this picture, and she says, I just want you to know I really want to go in there. Working on our finances. She said, I just want you to know I really want to go in there. But she said, because we're working on our finances, I said no. Yeah. Come on. I'm just proud of her, right? Now, now here's, a, here's a great thing. I, I love that. So I texted her back and said, I'm so proud of you. And little did she know, I was actually in a store at that same time. <laughs> a different store. My store, right? And I was like, me too. I sent her back and I was like, you know what? I ain't buying anything either because we're going to get out of this little debt thing we got going on and we're going to find some financial freedom. And some peace. So I just was a little excited about that. But you know, the thing that, that struck me was Polly and I moved from we got to do something to we're doing something. What is it in your life that gets you from I got to change to I am changing? What is it in your life that moves you from I got to do something different to I am doing something different? What does it take for you to cross that threshold? What is that place in your life that you finally say, I can't keep talking about this. I can't keep wishing myself into a different situation. What does it take to motivate you? Is it it something, is it when the wheels start shaking on the wagon and you feel like, I gotta fix it now? Is it when all the bill collectors call? Is it when the, 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 the potential words of divorce show up? Is it when finally the the boss says layoffs are about to happen? What does it take in your life before you finally say, i got to do something different, and I will? seems like there's always something in life that motivates change. All too often it takes until things start going a little crazy before we actually do something about it. We're finishing up our series called RSVP this morning. Last week, Pastor John Erickson did a great job. Man, he did such a good job speaking on this series, this topic, that I almost, I almost just decided to move on today to a whole different thing. But I just felt compelled by the Lord to stay here one more week and to talk about something else that God put on my mind, about that thing that, that keeps us from responding to the Lord. What is that thing? Because RSVP, Responde s'il vous plaît. I listened to the message John preached, and he couldn't say it in French, which was kind of fun. But, but I'm telling you, right, responde s'il vous plaît. That's what it means, RSVP. It literally means to respond. Please respond. It means to, to, to not just say, hey, wow, thanks, I was invited to the party. Rather, it's literally, hey, I'm going to come to the party, and I want you to know so that you can prepare for me. I want to talk to you this morning about the things that keep us from responding to the Lord. 
Quite frankly, I think some of the things that keep us from responding to the Lord isn't our raising of the hand saying, yes, I'll willingly commit my life, or I'm excited to surrender or rededicate my life. I think, quite frankly, people do that pretty easily. I think people come to the place of raising their hand or, or coming forward or whatever it is, and it's oftentimes not the thing that is, is really the difficult thing. The difficult part of the journey with God is actually the next Monday morning. It's walking it out. It's applying to your life. It's allowing the decision you made in your heart to show up in your hands and feet. It's literally realizing that I got forgiveness from the Lord. Now I need to give forgiveness from the Lord to someone else. It's the actual walking out of that journey in your life. That becomes the hardest part of this thing. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been fighting this silly cold. Thought I was going to make it this year. It was close. Titus. I want you to know this. Titus is a little island out in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, 2,000 years ago, it was an island out in the Mediterranean Sea. And by the way, it's still there today. It was funnier in my head when I said that. The island is still there today. Crete. Yeah. Sorry. Now, let me tell you this. So Paul writes this, this uh, letter to Timothy, and he says to Titus, actually. He says to Titus, Titus, go to the island of Crete and, and, and help them uh, recover the relationship to Jesus. Now, we don't know a lot about this relationship to Jesus or in uh, the island of Crete moment. Nobody really knows who started the churches on the island of Crete. Uh, by the way, the, the historians tell us that at one point, the island of Crete was known as the island of a thousand churches. I mean, there was a whole bunch of churches in a really small area. Crete was about the size of western Washington. I mean, it really wasn't that, that huge. But it's this, uh, maybe a little smaller than that. But nevertheless, it was this, this place that was kind of a, a long, skinny island with a whole bunch of churches on it. But what, how did it start? I think it started actually in Acts chapter 238 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says there in Acts chapter 2-ish, somewhere in there, that there were Cretans or people from the island of Crete who experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and took it home with them. So all we know is there was a bunch of people that got transformed by the Holy Spirit, started a church. Paul eventually, uh, 20, 30 years later, writes this letter to Titus to go back to the island of Crete because a whole bunch of those Christians that got saved in Acts chapter 2 stopped walking out what they said they were. They, 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 they stopped. Now, they didn't stop going to church. They kept going to church. Uh, they kept lifting their hands during worship. They, they kept tithing. They, they kept serving. But they stopped walking out what they said they believed in their heart. See, they look like Christians. They, they even sometimes talk like Christians. But they didn't live like Christians. So Paul writes to Titus, says, Titus, go to the island of Crete. And, and, and he didn't say slap them around a little bit. Paul said, go love them around a little bit. Go help them see that this relationship they have with God is for real, and they got to literally live it out. Hmm. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to what it says. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are defiled. Such people claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They're despicable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. 
Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are defiled. Such people, listen to this, claim to know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. Paul's talking about people inside the church. Paul's talking about you and me. A second ago, I asked you to text to, to come serve and cut out carpet. I just got a text to tell me how many people actually texted in. Of this room, you know how many people texted in and said they would do it? Eight people. Nine. <laughs> Under ten people. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Or maybe it does mean something. I don't know, it's your call. These Christian people, they were people who, who said they believed in God, but denied how they lived. They denied walking it out in the way that they lived. They, did, they talked the talk. It's interesting. I've, I've talked to some landlords that own uh, several homes, and, and, and they've said to me things like this. Lance, you know what? The worst tenants are Christians. I said, wait, what? I said, Lance, of all the tenants I've had, the worst ones are Christians. I said, what do you mean? Well, they pay late. They, they, they pay terrible, not on time. Uh, they, they make holes in walls. They make messes. But then they, they come and they talk the talk. I've been to uh, post-church uh, brunches or lunchtimes, and I've talked to waiters and waitresses. You know what they tell me? That the worst people in their restaurants are the Christians. I said, how do you know that they're Christians? They said, Lance, do the math. It's Sunday. People walk in with their hair combed. Something tells me they're probably church people. I don't know. I remember working at Costco, driving a forklift, and having to work on Sundays. And I remember driving around, and I could tell, hey, this was the church crowd coming in. Because it was around, you know, 1130, noonish, And I start to see this church crowd coming into Costco. And man, they were pushy and mean. I kept on thinking, like, stop it. You're being a terrible witness. Just be nice. And I'll get you your whatever it was. You know, I mean, I remember just thinking, like, just be nice. There's too many times as Christians, right? We say that we're believers. We say that we're followers of God. But oftentimes it doesn't show up in how we live our life. We say we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to get to heaven with everything as possible. But we don't necessarily want to live it out. See, I think what happened was in a short period of time, a bunch of believers on the island of Crete lost sight of who Jesus was. I think they lost sight of who Jesus was. They lost sight of the fact that Jesus is the Lord and they're not. They lost sight of the fact that Jesus is their master. They lost sight of the fact that, that Jesus is the one who is the king. How often does that happen in our worlds when we lose sight of who Jesus is? We lose sight of that process. And maybe you've lost sight of who Jesus is in your life. You know Jesus is part of your life, but he is not your life. I, I got to speak at a retreat last week, a men's conference in Aberdeen. In fact, it was Kari's dad's church over in Aberdeen. And uh, it was so fun. They, they got to, uh, then I got to preach last Sunday at her, her dad's church. And it was so fun to be able to brag on her, his daughter and say how wonderful things are going here. But, but the, the, the thing is, is like I got to tell these men, so often we, we, we step out and we say, Jesus, we want you to be number one in our life. And I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. 
Because if Jesus is number one in your life, that means there's a number two and a number three and a number four. Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life, people. Jesus wants to be the only one in your life. He wants to be what you wake up and do. I wake up and I, I live for Christ as a bus driver. I wake up and I live for Christ as a doctor. I wake up and live for Christ as a teacher. I wake up and live for Christ as a student. You just live for Christ wherever you go. That way what you do, wherever you go, you're living for Christ. What you say, what you do, everything reflects everything about you. You're living life saying, just look at me and I'll show you Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. In fact, you know the Greek, the, the Greek word for becoming a Christian is actually the word doulos. The word doulos translated in English is the word slave or servant. In other words, when we come to know Christ, the Bible says that we become his servant. We become his slave. He becomes the master. He gets to decide the yes and the no. He just tells us, go, and we go. See, see we, we want to levy a vote in the process. God says, listen, I want you to leave that job and go take this job or give that money or serve that moment, whatever it is to do. And we say, God, time out here. I did a little bit more than people think because I'm doing way more than that guy's doing. And we somehow feel at some level that we get to decide to the Lord what it is that our servanthood to him will look like. We're Christians. We get to just say yes. You get that? Because beyond that, we get to have like all eternity covered forever and ever and ever. In this short period of time, this 60, 70, 80 years we get here on the planet, we get to be able to say, Jesus, my life is yours. Do with it what you will and walk it out. But there's something that keeps us from our RSVP. There's something that keeps us from responding to Jesus. I think personally it's because we lose sight of who Jesus is. We have Jesus in our sight, and what happens then is our flesh comes right in the way, and it somehow gets in the way, and it, 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 it boggles. And then we start focusing on ourselves and what, 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 what the fairness looks like and how we get what we get out of the deal, and we lose sight of the Jesus who's in front of us. Hmm. Here's what I want to do. I want to take the next couple of minutes, and I'm going to read you some scriptures. And my challenge for you is this. As I read these handful of scriptures, there's probably going to be 10, 15 scriptures I'm going to read. I want you to just pick one. And here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to take this scripture. I want you to write it in your phone, text, write it in your notes, whatever you got. Take it home and, and read it every day for seven days. One of these scriptures I'm going to read, these 10 or 11 scriptures, I just want you to read it because I'm going to remind you of who Jesus is. I'm going to put Jesus in front of you. Now, here's what's going to happen. One, you're going to probably end up memorizing it throughout the course of the week. I'm just going to give you a verse or two, and you're just going to read it over and over once a day for the next seven days. The second thing that's going to happen is you'll probably tell someone about it. You'll just probably, it'll come, up in, it'll come up in conversation. How do I know that? It's kind of how God works. It'll just be some crazy thing you're going to be reading, and next thing you know, someone's going to ask you a question, and that scripture will be the perfect answer. And you'll be like, how did that happen? And I'll tell you, that's how God works. All right. How do you keep Jesus in your view? How do you, what keeps you from the RSVP? I'm saying it's your view of Jesus. So who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew 3.17 says this, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the King. If he's the King, then you're not. If he's the Master, then we're not. 1 Timothy 6.15 says this, At just the right time, Jesus will be revealed from heaven 
by the blessed only almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. John 1, 1 through 5 says this. Listen to this. Who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. It already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He, the Word, existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing that was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. His life brought light to everyone. Verse 5, the light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Who is Jesus? John 1.14. Then the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Who is Jesus? Jesus is kind. Titus 3.4. But then God our Savior showed us his kindness and his love. Who is Jesus? Titus 3.7. He declared us not guilty because of his great kindness. Why did Jesus come down to earth? He didn't come down to earth because he had nothing better to do. Why did Jesus come and show us his great kindness? Because he knew how much he wanted a relationship with you and me. I think sometimes we get this. I was watching a show last night. Polly and I were both kind of feeling sick yesterday, so we went and we were, uh, we were binge watching some crazy thing. But I remember watching it, and don't, don't give me a hard time. You do it too. But the idea, right, I remember just sitting there, spending a few hours watching a little, a little mind-numbing uh, Netflix or something. And I remember in the process j- just thinking, like, people spend an inordinate amount of time worshiping things. I mean, there was, a, there was a scene in a movie we were watching where a lady was kneeling down in front of a Buddha statue. And I remember uh, she was so committed. I mean, man, she, she like... There was, there was like a, this bowing down before she went into the room. There was like a real careful intention to her, her Buddha worship or whatever she was doing. And I remember this bowing and kneeling and just all of the gyrations she was going through. And then another movie we were watching, there was a, a, like a, a, a monk, some, some other monk, whatever it was they were doing. And, and I remember the intentionality that was behind each of these scenarios in these movies we were watching. And I remember thinking like how committed these people were to these false gods. We serve the God of gods. We serve the king of all kings. We serve the one who created it all. You you would have to be, you know how much faith you would actually have to have? Listen to me. How much faith you actually have to have to believe that this thing happened on accident? Let me tell you, you have more faith than I have. To just believe this thing happened out of, out of accident. Let me tell you, there was an intentionality behind this. There is a God, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and he loves you. Have we lost sight of Jesus? Have we lost sight of this master who loves us, who's merciful? Let me take a couple more verses. Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of the good things we've done, but because of his mercy. You know what mercy means? Mercy means this. Kindness or goodwill towards miserable and afflicted people with a desire to help. Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. Who is Jesus? Titus 3.5, I love it. Who is Jesus? Acts 3.19. 3.19 says this, Acts 3.19. 
Now turn from your sin and turn to God so that you can be cleansed from your sin. Then wonderful times of refreshment will come in the presence of the Lord. And he will send Jesus the Messiah again to you. Who is Jesus? Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. What this means is, is that those who become Christians can be new people. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone and the new has come. I'm going fast. Hebrews 10, 17. Then he adds, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Oh, come on. Colossians 12 says this. Colossians 1, verse 12. Always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share his inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. Listen to this, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness and has bought, brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven us all our sin. Polly and I get to sit down tomorrow. We get to have our, uh, our business meeting at our house. We're gonna go over our new budget together because I'm the nerd of the family I'm, I'm writing the budget and then we're going to sit down together and we're going to talk it through on Monday. She's really looking forward to that, right? <laughs> Just kidding. She really is actually. We're both going to refocus our attention for this season of our life. Paul and I are empty nesters now, right? We have a grandbaby and our kids are all moved out of our house and it's Polly and I. And it's, it's time for us to, to refocus and assess our journey and find out where we're going to go now because I want to make sure that when the end of this thing happens that we got something to retire with. Come on. Now listen, you may be here today and maybe that's your journey and finances are your issue. Then do take some time to walk it through. But maybe you need to assess your journey and your walk with God today. Maybe today is a moment that you're saying like, man, I've been, I've been walking on the outside of life way too long. I've been lifting my hands and singing the songs, but it hasn't been changing the way I live. You only know that. Today, we're going to baptize a couple people. And maybe you're one of them. The reasons I want to invite any of you else to come join us is because baptism is simply, it's simply this. It's an outward display of an inward change. In other words, when you become a Christian, you submerge your life into Christ and you literally get covered up in him. And you come up out of the water and say, look, I'm dripping wet with Jesus. That's what baptism is. Maybe you have been baptized before. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe today you want to get rebaptized. That doesn't matter to me. I just want to make sure that everyone knows that you've made a decision to live a little different today because of the messages that you're beginning to hear in your heart. So as we invite our, our candidates that we've talked to initially to come forward, let's close our eyes tonight. Can we, can we this morning and just pray and ask Jesus what he would say to you and me? Lord, this morning, as we get ready to baptize some people, we just pray that if this is your plan for our life, that, Lord, you will help us to make that decision. God, to do more than just uh, say words, but, God, that it would transform us by how we live. Lord, I pray today that our lives would be people that would be doers of the word and not just hearers of it. If that's you this morning and you're deciding that, man, I want to I wanna let everyone know that I'm different. I'm different on the inside. If that's you this morning, I want you to 
Come and join us for this time of baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. Jody, why don't you come on up? Awesome, thanks. I'm gonna have you hold that, or somebody hold that, otherwise I'll get shocked. Wouldn't be fun. Might be fun for you, 